Today's episode of In the Garage is brought to you by the Track Guy Foundation. At the Track Guy Foundation, we are committed to bringing track and field and cross-country experiences to Iowa's youth. Thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoy. And if you do, please drop us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Again, thank you. Now here's the show. On this episode of In the Garage with Track Guy, Track Guy and I sit down with longtime track and field assistant coach and now director of track and field and cross country at Iowa State University, Jeremy Sudbury. With a slight shakeup at the Big 12 Championships, we open up by asking Jeremy how his teams view national rankings. Jeremy Sudbury, welcome to the Track Guy podcast. I want to talk about your coaching career. What what have you done to get to where you're at today? And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about your personal running career, just to educate people on who Jeremy Sudbury is. Then we'll maybe break down the the Big 12 meet a little bit and then look ahead to regionals. And uh, as much as you may not want to, we'll look ahead a little bit to nationals too. So just briefly. I guess that leads me to my question. How do you view the rankings and how does that play into your coaching strategy, if at all? Yeah, no, I think I think the rankings are great for spectators and they're great for the sport in regards to kind of it gives you kind of a pecking order. Um, you know, I think we started the preseason outside the top 10. I think we were somewhere like 11th or 12th. And, you know, I don't know how accurate that was last year. We were eighth nationally and we, we brought everybody back with the exception of one athlete. And so, um, you know, anytime you, you bring everybody back, you like think you're still in the top 10, but we didn't end up in the top 10 to start. So. I think it's like anything, it's kind of objective and subjective to the coaches that are voting. Um, I thought it was really interesting last week. We were ranked number two nationally, and we were also ranked number two in the Midwest region behind a team that was ranked behind us nationally. So, you know, it just, it's a little bit of, I think, different coaches vote on different polls. And so it's kind of up to, you know, whoever's on that poll to make the decision. But for the most part, as you get in the later part of the season, they get it pretty close. And, and it's obviously, uh, either good bulletin board material because you're not where you want to be, or it's now trying to manage the pressure of being ranked number two or top five or wherever you may be, you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your coaching career. Here you are at Iowa State uh, Power 5 program, a storied uh, cross-country and tech, track and field program, and you are the director of all things track and field and cross-country uh, at, at Iowa State. And so let's just give people a little bit of a background. You know, where, where did you uh, – Where'd your coaching career get started? How'd you get to Iowa State, and then uh, ultimately onto this uh, power position? Yeah, no, appreciate it, and obviously really excited for the opportunity. You know, first year to kind of be in this role, and so learning a lot on the fly, but also been kind of groomed, in, in my opinion, based on kind of my my upbringing in regards to the sport. So, you know, originally I'm, I'm actually from Las Vegas, Nevada, of all places. So, not very a uh, big running community out there. Certainly nothing like we see in Iowa or the Midwest in regards to our sport of cross country and track. And so um, all I knew was I really wanted to run at the highest level and go to division one. And so um, at a high school, I was a very mediocre uh, average runner. I would say, you know, I think I ran the four twenties and nine forties for, for two miles. And so nothing special, but um, you know, certainly good enough to, get an opportunity to go to the junior college system. Um, and so I went to a very small junior college in Arizona called Paradise Valley, who had a really good coach um, that I just happened to stumble upon uh, through a running camp in high school. And his name was Dave Barney. He actually ran for John McDonald um, at Arkansas back in the heyday. And I uh, was part of, you know, some of those legacy type teams uh, when he was there. 
Uh, he actually had a professional career and was also coached by another famous athlete named George Young, who was most infamous for battling with Prefontaine and kind of being a, a American icon world, uh, what's it called, excuse me, Olympic bronze medalist uh, back to Mexico City. And so, um, you know, just his background and, and obviously kind of having that opportunity to be coached by him really got me to fall in love with the sport even more out of high school and kind of that first two years of junior college. And, you know, I had some opportunities not to go division one, but I thought the best route for me was to try to go through that junior college system to, to get into the division one level if I was you know, good enough or could earn a spot to that. So um, once again, we had a, a pretty good team. My teammates and I, we actually won the national title for junior college in 2008. We took down Denny Myers and his team at Ren Lake, who now is the, the late coach, uh, rest in peace. He was at Iowa Central and uh, did an incredible job there. And so um, I actually got to know him as an athlete when I was when I was back there. But um, anyways, we so I went from Paradise Valley and uh, went to a meet in Arkansas because John McDonald always made sure that uh, Coach Barney could bring his team to Arkansas, even when we were at a junior college. And when I was there, Martin Smith, who our former director here at Iowa State, uh, happened to be at the at the meet with some freshmen watching them run and saw myself and as well as one of my really good friends and former director of ops of Iowa State, Eric Harrison. They watched us run and uh, basically said, hey, you guys look pretty good. Would you like to go to Oklahoma? And at that time, we only had a couple of schools interested. I think it was Arizona State, Louis Quintana, and obviously he, he would go on and coach Shelby Houlihan. So it's amazing how small the sport is and, and how many people over 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 uh, intersect and all that kind of stuff. So Came down to Arizona State, Oklahoma, decided to go to Oklahoma, run for Martin. Uh, he had an incredible career as a coach and um, obviously multiple-time NCAA champion at Wisconsin and Virginia and had led the Ducks uh, a couple Pac-12 titles at his time at at, at, uh, at Oregon. And so for us, it was, you know, a no-brainer to go run for him. And I learned a lot from him and kind of, you know, was able to have a pretty decent career. Um, I, actually, one of my best races in college uh, was called by – by no no other than uh, yourself, Mike J uh, at Stanford. Uh, I won the, the slow section, the 10,000, huge PR and a famous kick, and I'll, I'll remember it like as yesterday. You know, Sudbury from Oklahoma. Well, you know uh, what? Mike. There's no there's no <laughs> slow section in the 10K at Stanford. So you know, but, it's, uh, it's amazing how deep those fields are. So congratulations on the victory. Yeah, so that was cool, big PR there, and so then that helped me. We had a pretty good team the following year. We got sixth place at nationals and cross country and. We got a fifth place as well when I was there and, um, you know, just kind of really started to see um, the program take off at Oklahoma. And so um, when I graduated, I actually was thinking about going to business, but um, I had gotten hurt my senior year. And uh, Martin, instead of just sitting around the house all day, he, he forced me to go to practice to help him time and things like that. So I always joke around. He kind of he kind of was the real reason why I got into coaching, because at the time I was going down a different path. And just those three months I had of watching practice and seeing the other side of it, you know, all the work that goes into allowing us to have the opportunity to, to do what we do on the track and things like that. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I think I'd be pretty good at it. And so, so yeah, so as soon as I graduated, I became a volunteer coach um, that summer, uh, worked with him from August till March. And then um, at the time we had a really uh, good assistant coach who just him and his wife just were, found out they're going to have a baby and her whole family is based in Utah. His whole family is based in Utah. And so, it was kind of one of those things they wanted to get closer to home. So he decided to leave in March and, and move back to Utah and get it, take, took a job at Utah State. Um, Mike Spence was his name and obviously a really good steeplechaser in his right. I think got fourth in Olympic trials a few times. But anyway, so he left in the middle of the year and Martin said, hey, next man up, would you like to be uh, the next assistant coach? And obviously I, uh, I was like, yeah, heck yeah, I'll do it. So I was at Oklahoma for about March to June and then 
that's when Martin was at the USA uh, Championships here in Drake. Uh, we had a really good crew that year: Pat Casey, Fraser Legacy, Eric Garrison, Riley Masters. We had a we had a squad, and so um, while we were here, uh, that's when Coach Emos, Corey Emos, decided to take the job at Boise State, and the Iowa State position opened. And you know, Jamie, I believe, if I recall correctly, had made a couple calls around the country to big time coaches, and he actually, I think, called Martin to get his opinion. And I think Martin was like, "Well, what about me?" And Jamie's like, oh, I didn't realize you'd be interested. And so, um, you know, flash forward a couple of weeks and Martin was at uh, Iowa State, took the job. And, and so he had called me in, I think it was June, June 1st or July, no, excuse me, June 30th or July 1st and said, hey, we're going to come up to Iowa State. And I was like, yep. So threw everything out and hopped in my Volkswagen and cruised up uh, from Norman Ames and uh, hit the road recruiting and, and been here ever since. And that was in 2013. So this will be my ninth year now at Iowa State. What a what a story! What a what a ride! Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and this is something I've I've been wanting to ask. And what about the additional duties as director of a Power Five program? What what are some of the surprises that maybe weren't on the job description, or maybe Jamie didn't mention in the interview that all of a sudden it's like, wow, sure, we got to do this too. Yeah, and and, I, and I'll be, and I'll be honest, I, I think the biggest thing for myself, and once again, incredibly thankful and appreciative, kind of to my mentors, is you know the last eight years. Martin has just been allowing me each year to get a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more responsibility. And so, you know, this past, this past fall and spring, you know, he was going to make me associate head coach to track and was getting a lot of those roles. And so, you know, for me personally, I think I was a little bit more prepared than maybe most that kind of go from assistant coach right into the director's role because I had experience with the budget. I had experience with scholarship and, and things like that, that, you know, usually you don't really see unless you're kind of managing that stuff in the books. And so, just because of that opportunity, I felt really prepared, but you're absolutely right. There's things that pop up every week and every day. And, you know, some things are as simple as somebody has a personal family loss and on the track team and, you know, they want to go home and see their family. And so we got to help them figure that out and maybe go to administration, act as, ask to see if we can get a plane ticket for them to go home and, and things like that. And, you know, that might take an hour out of your day or two hours out of your day that you weren't planning on. And so, um, I think the biggest thing is just time management and being able to be available. I think also the biggest thing is figuring out what kind of coach do you want to be? What kind of program do you want to be? What kind of culture do you want to have? And, and I think one of the big things that um, I felt that I wanted to really try to do is create a, a very inclusive environment in our track program and kind of identify areas of focus that I think we can really excel at and then being able to hire the right people. And I think that was another you know, big step in my in my personal development and growth was this summer with staff and figuring out if I wanted to retain staff or make some changes. And then if you do make changes, then where do you start? You know, I think most coaches rely on their their buddies and their their uh, people that you they've worked with for a long time. Well, I didn't have really any of those, so I was kind of starting from scratch. And so, you know, this summer was a whirlwind. It was about five weeks that um, my my wife and I joke around that like. I never be the same after those five weeks in terms of just the amount of <laughs> sleep or non-sleep that I got and everything else. But, uh, but yeah, I'm really excited. I think we, uh, we hit a home run with, with the people we hired and obviously, uh, maybe got a little lucky, which has always been kind of something we've, we've done pretty well with. So, well, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, you know? Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> so. so let's, uh, let's get into this season. You know, you, uh, Iowa state's got a, a special season brewing right now in cross country and, uh, runner up to BYU at GREAC. Then you go to Wisconsin, win the Nutty Comb meet against a national caliber field. And then you're runner up at the Big 12 meet to Oklahoma State. And uh, some of the statistics of, uh, of that meet just 
people that don't know the sport will wonder, well, how in the world did they get beat? You get you lost by seven, but your total team time was less than Oklahoma State's, and your average per man was less than Oklahoma State's. But it's one of those deals of just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, yeah. so to speak. Tell us about the before we get into individuals and and how they how they ran the depth in the Big Twelve, and then you're going to add BYU uh, in the future. It's going to be it's going to be crazy uh, right now. Conceivably, the Cyclones and the Cowboys could both be on the podium at the NCAA championships. Yeah, no. First off, uh, obviously, hats off to Coach Smith down in Oklahoma State. You know, they hosted an incredible meet in terms of just the presentation of it and even the the quality of the video and everything. We got a chance to watch that on Saturday, and it was an overall really good production. And I think anytime you're at home, I mean, we, we hosted uh, at home back in, I believe it was 2018. Uh, we swept full titles with men and women, and, and you kind of have that extra little, I wouldn't call it home cooking, but you get that extra little... Uh, you know, advantage when you're at home and you're you're representing your institution and you got your fan base out there. And there is uh, something really, to be said about sleeping in your own bed too, and not in a yeah, exactly in a hotel and, room. You know, and, as corny as that may sound, there's a there's a lot to that. Yeah, but not making excuses. I, I think even going into the meet, we really studied it. I know Coach Wallace and I, we spent hours and hours, nights and nights, just looking at and analyzing it and see how we did stack up. We were hoping to get a little help out of Texas, and you know Texas was ranked 14th in the country going into the meet. So you had the number two team, um, number five team, number 14 team, based on coaches, you know, opinions. And we were hoping that they had a couple athletes that would break up the score and it would add some displacement and maybe shake things out differently. In the end, um, it ended up being a complete dual meet. Um, I mean, the top 10 was Iowa State and, and Oklahoma State, each having five athletes, and you know we lost basically every little battle whether it was our fifth man against their fifth man by 0.1 to um, I think the biggest deficit we had of any of our guys stacked up was about 4.5 seconds. And it all kind of happened over the last thousand meters, which they had the nationals last year. And if you go back and study the team scores at 8K, 9K, and then the outcome at 10K, there was a lot of radical shift. I mean, athletes that were blowing up, athletes that were really moving and, and so on and so forth. And so I would, I would contribute to A, I think at, on the day, Oklahoma State was just the better team. You know, especially on the men's side, they really showed that they had kind of circled this on their calendar and made a big, this is, we're going there to make sure we protect our, our home course. And, and they did that. But for us, I actually felt we ran really well. You know, there was a couple other factors that played into it. Um, it was incredibly windy. I think we were in the gusts of 35, almost 40 mile an hour winds out there. And it's pretty open based on, I'm not sure you saw it last year at nationals. It was pretty windy as well. But so the first 4K got really tactical. Other than Wesley and Rodriguez uh, from Oklahoma State really pushing it up front, the rest of the pack just kind of sat and got really pumped up, uh, which we kind of expected. And so the race was kind of reduced from an 8K basically from a, the last 3K. So the race really didn't essentially begin until 5,000 meters. Uh, and there was a massive moves and just absolute just Hail Mary uh, haymakers going back and forth between athletes between 5 and 7K, you know, metaphorically in terms of surges and things like that. And so it was all decided in that last 3K. And I think coming through 6K, I think we were pretty much dead even. The score was one point difference. And then just that last thousand meters, they, they kind of rolled it up on us. And then on the flip side of things, the women, they really kind of ran above expectations. They missed out just by a point. You know, they were ranked, I think, 17th going in. Oklahoma State was ranked seventh. Um, we were expecting it, you know, it's always going to be close, but we had expected it not to be that close. And just kind of credit to Coach Rudolph and really getting the women prepared and just kind of speaking to our women's tradition of the conference meet. We always 
find a way to game up and, and get it done. And that was really cool to see. And, you know, even after the guys lost, the women it didn't phase them. They were, they were taking it to Oklahoma State. They did a lot of the aggressive uh, front running and, and pushing the pace when, when it was slow and just came down to that last, once again, probably 100 meters. It was, it was so close. But, uh, but yeah, both, pro, both performances were really exciting. And, and you're absolutely right. I think right now, if I had to, if I had to make my own coaches' rankings, I got Oklahoma State number one in the country and probably NAU, Notre Dame, two, three, and then four, five, six is wide open. I think it's, you know, potentially us or Arkansas, even BYU, Stanford. Um, so I think it's going to be a truly a, an interesting, really close score dynamic at the Nationals for the top six, seven teams. Well, that's one thing that's magical about this sport, and it, and it makes me fall in love with it more each and every day. Is when, when the score is that close and the team is are that close, one through five, it could come down to the sixth runner or one of those yeah. top five just being off of their game by a percentage. You know what I mean? A percentage point or two, and it changes – it could change the team scores for the top five, six, seven teams. It's it's crazy, uh, but that's that's the beauty of it. You know, you've got uh, you know, seven individuals making up an amazing team sport. You mentioned Wesley a little bit. You've gone been vocal a, a little bit on on a positive note on what you want to do and change maybe his style, running style a little bit. Last year at the NCAA meet, he just ran away and hid for a while. You know, and it's hard to uh, rein somebody back in from being uh, wanting to be a solid. Uh, front runner from the gun i noticed at nutty comb he was a little more patient but it was like he got tired of everybody just uh jogging and had to take off at one point how's that going getting him to maybe change the mindset just a bit and save himself a bit this podcast is brought to you by midwestern financial group an independent fiduciary advisor servicing the financial needs of those in iowa and beyond if you want your money working as hard as you do Look us up at www.midwesternfinancial.com. Yeah, no, I think last year was, um, in my opinion, something it, I would I would attribute it to. Anytime you have an athlete that is incredibly successful and is blowing out records every weekend, and, and it works, you know, the the attitude is, well, why change it? And I think when Wesley was at Colby Community College as a sophomore, broke every NCAA junior college record blew out athletes by 90 seconds at the national championship. And so when he came in, you know, first race out the blocks, he and Festus worked together. And, but in the end, he just went on and won. Then we went to our, our first kind of big race, which was uh, the Jamboree down in Oklahoma state last fall. And he blew that out and, and he won that race. And then go to big 12s, he blows it out, wins that race, breaks the course record, which was held by a pretty good athlete, Kenny Pupachuka at uh, Rim Rock, a famous course, but made it look like he was nothing. Flash forward to December, we took him out to California and he ran 27.38 for 10,000 meters. And once again, it was an incredible race and then runs incredible indoors, a couple races against Cooper Tier and, and runs fast, breaks school records, and then goes to Tallahassee, smashes the course record there. And so every race, he was just getting more and more uh, validation. And, and it was one of those things Martin and I had talked about a lot was, do we change it? Do we mess it up? Do we, do we ask him to do something different because it's working? And he goes to national indoors. He wins the national title, breaks the call, the record. Uh, and then flash forward, goes to Oklahoma State, gets third. But had it not been windy, I, I don't know if he would have lost. And, you know, obviously no discredit to, to Connor Mance, but, you know, we look at that race and said, hey, if it wasn't 35 pounder wins, you're by yourself. You know, mm-hmm. does it change the outcome? So, sure, sure. um, on the day, no, it, what well, didn't change the outcome? Connor Mance was a national champion and kudos to him. He's really good. 
So this year, I think looking forward and kind of looking back and kind of how the outdoor season ended, which was a couple factors, I think the sheer volume of races he had done in a year was insane. I don't know if that ever should be attempted again. And in the end, it was a little combination of the COVID season getting shifted and condensed and having three championships within one spring and a little bit of Wesley wanting to, you know, put a stamp on the NCAA. And then also the last piece is you know, the coach. You know, we were trying to win the outdoor Big 12 championship and just came up close to Texas. And so we had asked him to triple. And, and I think that kind of stuff is where you look back in hindsight, you're like, okay, yeah, it makes sense that he, he was out of gas at the Nationals. <laughs> so looking forward this year, we're going to make some tweaks. And, and one of the first things we saw was that Roy Griak, that became almost kind of a tactical race with him and Connor. He, he never really mm-hmm. made the big move. He never pushed it. And him and Connor, I know, kind of started feeling each other out between 3K and, and 7K with, you know, challenging one another. But ultimately, it came down to a 400-meter kick. And Wesley got excited because he felt great and took off with 400 to go and started to tie up just a little bit. And then Connor closed it down and, and got the best of them. So um, so that was one style. And then, you know, Nutty Comb, the strategy was go out with the leaders, evaluate somewhere between the mile and 2K. I think he made it maybe a little bit earlier than that. And basically, he looked at Cooper Tier, I mean, he may even try to talk to him, I think, at one point and said, hey, are we going to go? And Cooper kind of shook him off like, no, my coach told me not to go with you. So he's like, all right, I'm going. <laughs> and he just took off and, and did his thing. So and then at obviously Big 12s, you watch the tape. You know, he let Rodriguez go the first, you know, 500 meters. And we kind of was chatting with Thomas and the guys and was like, all right, I'm going to go get him. And so he left and slowly made his, his, his move to catch up. And then when strategically, when we got to just past the mile, the wind shifted to your back. And at that moment, I had talked to him about, hey, if you're feeling good and it's honest, then it, let's just make it appear who's the best athlete, who's the best shape. And so as soon as he hit the wind to his back, he took off and opened up on Rodriguez and, and the race was over, essentially. He just kind of kept widening the gap as as the race continued. So so we've been working on some things and, and I think the best is still to come. Edwin and I, we worked really closely together in 2019 on his strategy to win the national title. And um, this year, I'm just really excited because Wesley's been incredibly coachable and and now wants to add, I always tell, I always tell everybody like every athlete's given a toolbox. I think it's up to the coach and the athlete to keep adding new tools to the toolbox. And so then when you're in a race, you can have multiple different weapons you can go to, or in this case, tools that can, you know, all right, I need my, my socket wrench today because it's going to be tactical or I need my screwdriver because we're going to send it from the gun. And so just being able to give him more tools for his toolboxes has been kind of the goal for this fall. And, you know, Edwin Kurgott winning the national title in 2019, Wesley third last year, and is going to be obviously one of the favorites uh, this year. But you've got some Iowa kids on your roster that uh, four are the best that have, that have ever graced a cross-country course in the state of Iowa with, with Thomas Pollard and, and Gable Sieperda uh, and Tim Sint, who's a story all on himself, and we'll get to that as well. Then you've got Nate Mueller, one of the very best ever, and he's your number 10 uh, at the Big 12 meet. How special? Is it to have yes. those Iowa kids? Well, one of our goals, honestly, Mike, was when we got to Iowa State, Martin and I really quickly wanted to try to sign the best high school kid every year in cross country and distance. And I think for us, it was we started doing that. I mean, Jason Thomas happened to be um, already signed to Iowa State when we when we took over, and obviously he wanted to stay. And and so we started with Jason Thomas, and it was Josh Evans and Thomas Pollard, and then Patrick Bowes and. Tim Sint, Gable Sieperda, and, and now Nate Mueller, and you know, even Noah Coet Jackson is redshirting, or not redshirting, excuse me, he, he redshirted last year for us. Um, you know, I, I think 
you always start there and then something always happens, you know, for unfortunately, Josh had chronic Achilles issues and ultimately ended up having a torn labrum that we had to have surgically repaired. And, and then moving on to Jason Thomas, just the training wasn't clicking for him. And so it was not the right fit. And so in the end, he found more you know passion and enjoyed himself by training himself and moving on to the marathon and, and having a good road, road running career. And, and so, you know, sometimes, and even Patrick, Patrick was really enjoyed running in high school and then got the college and saw a different level and so he decided not to want to do running anymore and just be a regular student and so every kid has their own story but it's finally feels really good to be able to finally show the state that look Iowa has some really good athletes and then you look at Matt Carmody over at Notre Dame running really well uh you got the guys down at Arkansas that run really well last couple years and so for for us to finally get that same type of you know return and Obviously, Thomas has been in the program and been historically a very good athlete for us. And now Gable finally coming into his own after kind of a breakout year last year in track. And now Tim since finally healthy. We got him, we got him rolling. And obviously we're, we're running Tim or excuse me, not Tim, we're running Nate right now because we're trying to get him ready for next year. And, and I think that's the one thing, if there was anything I, I had to you know, share with any recruit or, or athlete in the state would be distance running is a, is a long-term game. It's not a, it's an art of delayed gratification. You can't just go from zero to 60. And, and I think that step up from 5k to 8k to 10k, uh, when you're so young, you got to really be prepared to develop. And so I think right now we're finally seeing the athletes that are, have bought into that system and have really bought into the program getting rewarded. And, you know, I think our football coach, Matt Campbell says it best is, uh, you love the process. The process will love you back. I, I think that's, it applies to any sport, but definitely cross country in the sense of you're going to have to do some serious, hard <laughs> running days out there and it's cold in the winter. And obviously you're going to have to go through some injuries sometimes, and it's going to challenge you in, in terms of, is this really what you want to do? Or are you going to throw the towel in when it gets tough? So aside from patience, what, attributes do you look for in high school recruits yeah i think you always got to start with times so i think that's our st- our statistical standard um you know there's no perfect science look i was a 940 guy out of high school and it took me four years but i finally developed i broke 14 and 5k and got down i had our school record at one time so there's no exact science with like signing somebody but i think it's i think the biggest thing we look for is kind of starting with a 910 to 915 range for two miles and you know, anytime you get to 410 to 415 in the in the 1600 in, in the state, you know that's something we we kind of use as our our target. And then from there, obviously, there's always other stories and examples that well, this guy's only running 25 miles a week, and he's got he's in a 1A school, and there's you know he doesn't have a, a coach that's necessarily exactly in tune with cross country. And so you know you can start to kind of put it together. I, I think the biggest thing for us though is that starting rubric is usually off time because that is just the simplest statistic to be able to kind of get a depth chart in recruiting. And then from there is just getting to know the athlete and then also kind of finding out where their head's at, you know, is this something that they just do because it's an extracurricular activity, but they don't really want to buy into it. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, to run with, you know, and I think that's what our team potentially offers is you get to train with Wednesday tiptoe. So if you want to see what that guy's doing and he's breaking records and won NCAA titles or Edwin Kurgott or, you know, even, you know, in the past, we've had some other really good American athletes that have gone the All-American and, and done some good stuff with Daniel Everett or Andrew Jordan, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you get to see what those guys are doing, and yet you might be coming out of high school at 40 miles a week. So it's like, all right, well, we're going to have to build you up each year systematically. This could be a three-year process. Eventually, you have to run 85 to 100 miles a week. 
And can you handle that? Can your body handle that? Is that something that you're that it's gonna take a lot of time of your day? Are you interested in doing? Get up in the morning, running in the afternoon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a commitment. And so I think that's where if you have a potentially somebody that's come out of high school who they just go to practice for an hour and a half afterwards and then they got a four O and an incredible ACT and they want to do engineering and they also want to have a lot of extracurricular activities that they do and you know be present of this and that. And then on top of that, also, hey, you got to run 90 miles a week. Hey, you got to eat right. Yay, you got to go to sleep at 10 o'clock and get eight hours because your body's like to recover. And so I think the biggest thing is what I found recently, probably the last five years versus when I first got here, is just being brutally honest <laughs> with recruits and just super straightforward and saying, hey, this is what we do. We would really like you to come. But at the same time, if that's not something you're interested in, maybe we're not the right fit. And so sure. that's trying to find that that ability. And so you know exactly what you're getting into. And so there's no miscommunication or frustration when it's like, wow, really coach? Like you want me to get up at 6.30 and go run? It's 38 degrees outside. Like I was expecting to run inside the day. Like, well, no, we don't, we don't do that here. We, we're, we're kind of trying to get tough, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess what we, we try to do. Awesome. In 20 seconds, update people on Tim Scent and his health issues. You know, many people, I think until, until this year thought Tim had just given up you know and not on the and not even in the program anymore but but what a what a story yeah so tim's senior year of high school was shortly after that controversial course record at the ankeny meet uh <laughs> um, i think that's uh, still a bubble of talk we always uh, joke around with tim about that at practice sometimes uh but anyways right after that meet i believe he kind of stepped funny in a, and kind of jammed his hip um and so all that remaining part of the fall not sure if you recall, but he kind of just did enough to win the state meet, yep. um, and, and he was in a lot of pain. Uh, that hip was not not good, um, and so credit to Tim for running through it because later on we would find out that he actually had a torn labrum, uh, which is a pretty serious injury for a runner, especially since it's you know think about how many times you're moving your hip back and forth when you're running. But uh, but anyway, so he he um, he had that happen in the fall. Then flash forward to spring, did a bunch of physical therapy, tried to work through it gutted out a kind of a, a track season that I think he was not entirely happy with, but credit to him again, he ran through it. And so finally, by the end of the, the spring season, we finally had him meet with some of our team doctors. Uh, his mom took him up there outside. You know, we couldn't technically work with him yet, but we recommended him to go see our people. So it'd be easy transition over. So he did that, saw, uh, saw the doc, saw torn labrum, got surgery done that summer. Typically, the labrum surgery is something that could be a career ender or certainly it could definitely inhibit your comeback and so basically it took him a whole year to just get back to running and then obviously when you take that much time off then something else flares up a calf uh achilles uh you know maybe a stress fracture things like that and so for the last literally the last two and a half years the guys has been battling this battling that work on the hip hip's still not right etc cetera, etc cetera. and so come full circle finally had a great summer was able to be consistent finally got a chance to compete his first ever college race was this fall at the uh, Roy Griak, which uh, even we forgot like man you have never raced before Tim he's like nope my <laughs> first race so like oh wow all right so um but yeah he's he's obviously mega talent was incredible in high school and it just spoke to kind of his character and once again I mean, there was never a doubt in his mind he was coming back and it's not like anything we did to make him come back it sure. was that was that was self-driven and so um, I'm excited for him. I think every race we've seen him improve. We were messing with him the day at practice because I finally rewatched the tape. And at one point he was leading the, the chase pack. And I'm like, Tim, what were you doing leading, man? Like, where, where'd that come from? He's like, 
coach, it was slow. I just, it opened up. So I took it. And so I think once again, it kind of speaks to his, his mindset where he's not afraid of anything and he's willing to kind of work to get back. Great yeah. story. We want to pause to give thanks to the local shoe stores that have partnered with us to keep driving the Track Guy Foundation forward by helping put shoes on the feet of Iowa's youth that need them the most. They are Heartland Souls in Johnston and Coralville, Fitness Sports in Clive, Peak Performance of Sioux City, Fleet Feet of Davenport, and Iowa Running Company of Cedar Rapids. You've got those great Iowa kids. Like I said, you've got four of them that, that ran at the Big 12 meet. And Thomas Pollard, and you mentioned Sieperda and, and Sint, and, and Mueller also uh, ran there. But the Iowa State Cyclone men's cross-country team isn't just uh, a possible national champion of four Iowa kids. You've got some other kids wearing Cyclone singlets that are, that are pretty darn tough. And Ryan Ford and Festus Lagat, Rop and Johnson, and, and two. Just give us a, a, a minute or two on the depth that you have uh, if somebody's off, somebody else could, will step up and you won't lose much. Is it? Are you that deep? When you've got Festus Lagat, uh, one of the best in the country, and, and he's not even your number one, uh, that shows you've got a little bit of talent there. Yeah, no, I, I think we're really interchangeable from two to two to seven. I, I think that's what makes our team exciting going into the postseason. You know, this part of the year is all about the management of energy and trying to get to the line healthy. Um, so anytime you have interchangeable parts, you're not just relying on five athletes. You know, I think that's, that's obviously a, a nice poker chip to have in your, in your, on your, in your favor. And so, uh, you're absolutely right. And all, all each athlete's got a different story. I mean, you know, Festus is an athlete that's more predominantly an 800 runner. I mean, the guy ran 144 this summer and won a bunch of races in, in the summer track league and kind of was a victim of not going pro because of kind of the Olympics and the timing and kind of COVID and different companies not being ready to kind of shell out any money. And so I uh, decided to come back for the fall to finish up his master's program. And we're a benefactor of that and having another great body who he, he sees it as getting him in shape for the next track year. And obviously he's a big, a big team guy. And um, since he's here, he, he kind of wants to make sure that we can kind of do something special. And so having Festus back in the lineup, that was kind of an unexpected fall addition was awesome. Obviously having Ryan Ford, you know, he's running the best he's ever had in his whole career. And, we saw him down in Tallahassee last February. He broke up our top five down there and he was running for a school that, um, you know, he was a top runner and, and just finished up his engineering degree this spring and wanted to use his extra eligibility because of COVID and do go to grad school. And so, um, so he came in and, you know, we've actually, uh, really enjoyed having him because he brings in a whole other perspective as, a, you know, a fifth year athlete that, you know, just that fresh energy and that kind of stuff. And then obviously Chad Johnson, he's been here for a while. He's a guy that you can always count on and, and having that senior kind of, you know, role or leadership. Um, and so, you know, that plus the, uh, the four Iowa guys and, and Nehemiah, once again, kind of more middle distance, but, you know, he definitely is, is a nice guy to have in your, in your arsenal when it comes to having depth. And so, um, yeah, that, I think that's going to be the biggest tell here is which teams can stay healthy, who has the depth. And in the end, that might make the difference for a podium versus not. If, uh, you know, one athlete goes down, for example, Ryan Ford's been our top five all season. He was our sixth man at Big 12s because Ezekiel stepped up. And so, you know, same thing. And, you know, Tim was, if you take both Ezekiel and Ryan out and plug Tim in as our fifth man, then the, the outcome is still the same. And so, you know, I think that's kind of where we're excited in, in terms of the postseason. So we're getting ready for regionals. This regional is, is loaded. Uh, not only you and Oklahoma State, but you're going to throw Tulsa in there. You're going to throw mm -hmm. a Minnesota team that's running pretty tough right now. And 
got to watch out for those guys. Absolutely. So <laughs> they, that they celebration was awesome. Yeah, no, I saw that. I was like, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't like I mean, that. It, it's it's so fun. To, <laughs> it's so awesome to see teams that haven't had a lot of success, have success and just how happy the kids are. And it's like putting in all those miles and making that commitment. And then it pays off. Tell people just a little bit, Jeremy, you know, what about the qualifying process out of regionals? And just how tough it's going to be to get out of there with the, with the talent that's going to be in Iowa City on the 12th. Yeah, no. So the, to automatically qualify for nationals, you need to be top two. That's the auto auto qualifier. Then you can get in at, at large process by based on regular season wins over other teams that have qualified automatically. So, for example, for us to beat Texas at Big 12s, if Texas were to go on and win their region or get second, then that would give us a point if we did not qualify automatically. And then they just keep going down each region. And if you beat that team during the regular season, you get a point. And so um, the value for us is the big performance we had at, at Nutty Comb, the Wisconsin meet. By winning that, uh, we have an abundance of, of points. So if we were not to finish top two, we actually could probably fade back to fourth at the regionals and still get in. Um, there's one other kind of little quirky piece to qualifying is, for example, if we were to get fourth, and a team, let's use Drake, for example, that didn't run any high-profile regular season meets, um, and so they didn't have any at-large points, but they beat us at the regionals, and we got fourth, we could actually push Drake into the nationals because of the amount of volume of points we had. You're allowed to push one team in. And so for us, you know, looking at the, you know, the difficulty of the Iowa course, it's, it's not an easy one. It's fair, but it's, it's definitely a challenging one. That's kind of Midwest cross-country, Roy Griak. Uh, Iowa, even if you go down south, some of those Missouri courses, they're all, they're all pretty tough. Um, and so for us, our goal is to get through the nationals unscathed, staying healthy, but also trying to conserve as much energy as possible because you got to turn around eight days later and run another 10K. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of unique where the last three weeks of the season, you got to run an 8K, a 10K and another 10K all in that short, you know, 21 day span. And so, or 22 day span in this case. So. So yeah, so for us, we're gonna we're gonna go into that way. We may even make some adjustments in the lineup. We may even run a different tactic, you know, stock a certain athlete on another team, maybe a third man at Tulsa or the third man at Minnesota or whoever we feel like we need to kind of, you know, key off of. So like I said, we're trying to conserve as much energy as possible to get through and and really circle that calendar on on the Tallahassee race. Well, I'm glad you mentioned 10K, and I'm not sure how many people are aware that you, know, you run 8K all year till the regional meet. You run 10K and turn right around and run 10K at nationals again. How tough is that for somebody like uh, a Nate Mueller just coming out of high school? And Nate's a, an exceptional talent. I'm just using him as an example because he's a true sure. freshman. But winning the 5K at a state meet, and uh, one year later, uh, he's in the biggest meet of his life running twice as far. Yeah, no, I would say it's, you know, each, each, each athlete's different, but, um, I think for us, we, we look at that as kind of the goal, meaning let's get ready for 10,000 meters. And along the way, you'll have these eight Ks that are going to be great checkpoints or, you know, areas that you can kind of check boxes in terms of fitness. But, you know, the eight K to 10 K is a big difference. I think people don't underestimate that last six minutes of running, you know, eight K, you can get through five K and, be a little bit in trouble and kind of hang on and not fade too far. You know, for example, I think Nutty Comb, a lot of teams that way that course is designed, you can get through 5K and then hang on for a good performance. Um, and so I think that's where the big challenge is going to be is you, you can't hang on at 10K. You know, Tallahassee is notorious. I think people are saying it's a really fast course. 
Um, but as I keep reminding our guys, it's, it's still 6.2 miles. It's still 10,000 meters. So it, it's going to, no matter if it's fast or not, it's, you're not going to cheat the distance. It's still going to be there. So, uh, we train for 10 K all year. Um, our mileage reflects 10 K our mentality reflects 10 K. I mean, just today we were talking to practice about being able to continue to learn. And, and I think the biggest thing from high school to college is the, the distribution of your energy. You know, I like giving the analogy of the, the toothpaste. So, you know, when you're, you're rolling up that toothpaste from the bottom, well, if you squirt it all out at one time, well, you're out of toothpaste. And so same thing in a race. If you have these big moves or you, you go out too hard, then you're, you're not going to, you're going to run out of toothpaste for the end of the race. And so for us, it's just kind of, management of that and, and being able to make sure when that last step we cross the line then you're out of toothpaste because it, it's very uh, unforgiving that 10,000 meters and so so yeah we're, we're ready for it I think um, you know as I told this on another interview I did a couple weeks ago you know we're an old team we're, we're, we're pretty old I mean we got Thomas in the seventh year you know Gable's in a in a fourth year um, Tim is probably the young guy in his third, third year of college and so all of our guys are between three years and seven years in terms of their eligibility. And there's a lot of big difference at being at 23 years old or 21 years old than being 17, 18. So, so yeah, Nate's, Nate's, Nate's in trouble. He's got, he's going to have, he's going to have a big day out there. If we end up running on the, in our top seven. Um, but the majority of our team, the guys will really be counting on to, to be a podium type team or are much older and have done it before and, and kind of have that experience. And I think once again, you can't you can't speak enough to experience in, in the sport and especially over 10,000 meters in cross country. Oh, absolutely. And knowing your body and, and know what it feels like uh, after 8K. Well, we appreciate you so much taking the time to, to be with us, Jeremy, and, and sharing your thoughts and talking about this Iowa State program, a, a storied program that is uh, once again uh, looking to be one of the top, if not the top uh, in the nation when it's all over on, on November 20th. But next is the regional meet in Iowa City on November 12th. And one thing I want to touch on is you've got uh, uh, your wife, Maria, who's uh, very active in the program as well. But uh, how about Jack? How's he doing? You got, he's got Jack is almost a year old now, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Jack. He's uh, a little over 10 months old, and that's been a whole new challenge and chapter in our lives. And very fortunate. I have an incredible wife who is uh, a really good mom and has picked up the slack where I've been uh, maybe faltered a little bit. So, uh, no, she's she's been great. And, yeah, Maria has been incredibly invaluable in this process. You kind of get an extra extra staff member when you have um, a wife that's so familiar with the program, has been the director of operations the last three years. Um, knows where everything is. And so, um, yeah, she's kind of the, uh, the ultimate advisor behind the scenes and kind of creating that family business that we have going. And, you know, I learned from Martin, you know, really quickly that each program has its own recipe and, you know, whether you're Oklahoma, or, for example, in his case, or Oregon or Wisconsin or Virginia, you know, every school is different and has a different identity and, and every community that you move to and things like that have their own identity. And for us, I, I think the biggest thing is, we're trying to create that, you know, mom and pop restaurant that, you know, what Iowa State can be. I don't want to be a factory. I don't want to be a corporation. I want to be able to really identify and know everybody on the team and, and everybody has a role and a purpose. And I think you know, that's our team mantra this year is purpose. You know, find your purpose. Wesley has his purpose and, you know, Nate has his purpose and they're different. And, and everybody needs to have that goal and be able to, you know, construct that in their own way. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, those guys, uh, have really been a big, big, big help. And, you know, I was joking with Maria, Jack didn't go to big 12s and we, and we lost and you know, we won Nutty Comb and Jack was there. So I don't, maybe he's the, the X factor. So 
So Jack will not miss another race the rest of the season. I'll, I'll tell you that. So. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Best of luck. And uh, I'm really excited to watch the Cyclones uh, toe the line with some of the other best in the nation when they come to Iowa City uh, uh, on November 12th. So thanks again. Keep everybody healthy. And uh, we're really anxious to watch the ride. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Have a great night. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please go to Apple iTunes and leave us a five-star review that helps us reach many more people. And we look forward to sharing more content with you in the near future. If you want to be a supporter of the show or of the Track Guy Foundation, visit trackguyfoundation.com. If you would like to be a sponsor of the show, please email trackguy at trackguyfoundation.com. Again, thank you for all your support. Take care.